And the rest of us, we have been working through a series called Six Keys to a Healthy Marriage, and we've worked through four of those keys. And I'm super excited to have Tamara here. I'm going to give Tamara. She's going to come and uh, do the last two keys of a healthy marriage for us. Yes, 
and I invited him in to be my Lord and my Savior and my King. And I don't know if, if you feel like God is knocking on the door of your heart today, but if he is, I hope you'll invite him in. It was the best decision of my life. And only six months later, I found myself at Bible college, head down into the Lower Mainland there in Abbotsford, and for two years, God just submerged me in his word and surrounded me in his people, and it's absolutely transformed my life. I went from living my life from a position of, of wanting to get others to love me to living my life from a position just of being so filled by his love and knowing his unconditional love that I started living with the focus of just wanting to love others. And it changed everything. I started experiencing friendships and relationships like I never thought possible. Insecurities just melted away because it wasn't about me anymore. I was free from that. And thankfully, even more than knowing his awesome love for me, I also started to believe that he had good plans for me too. And that was an incredible realization because once I believed that, I was ready to say yes to this incredible man that came my way. I was ready to say yes and believe that God had a good future and a hope and a plan for my life too, thanks to knowing his love. So we're married in 2003, just a couple of kids, 21 years old. Jerry even had hair back then. <laughs> I still had all my baby fat, <laughs> freaking our parents out. Shortly after we were married, a job opportunity of his fell through. And without really any better options, we decided to pack up and move to Edmonton for the summer to go live with his grandparents. He had the kind of relationship with his grandparents where he knew he could always go to them for anything and there'd be a job waiting for him at a lumber yard that they owned at the time. So that's exactly what we did. Uninvited, unannounced, just drove over there and uh, showed up on the doorstep to find out two things. Number one, that they were on vacation, so they got to come home to the surprise of us. And number two, Jeremy's older brother and brand new wife also decided to move in with them this summer. So there we were, one big happy. And it was honestly the most impactful and influential um, experience on my marriage. If you were here a couple weeks ago during uh, the first week of this series, Jesse talked about something called the love triangle, which is really simply put where you have two people who are plugged into God, who have God as their source and their strength, are that much more fueled up and filled up to love each other. It's really that simple. And I got to witness this with his grandparents. Every morning, I saw Grandma sneaking away into her study, spending time in the Word, memorizing Scripture, spending time in His presence, praying to Him, filling her heart with gratitude for all that He had done for her. And from there, she went about her day, serving her family, fulfilling the purpose that she knew that God had put in her life, her primary ministry, being to love her family and love the Lord. And she did it with such dignity and joy and everything as unto the Lord. It was so evident to me. I witnessed every evening Grandpa in the living room, sitting in the living room with his Bible open, like old King James Version style. Every, every word highlighted. A couple different colors of highlight. Notes all over the page. You can tell 
that both of them had consumed the word of God over and over and over again in their lives. And the fruit of that really showed. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It was, it was all evident in their lives, and they shared such abundance, physically, socially, psychologically, spiritually. Now, of course, I'd met them after 50 years of marriage. I'm sure it wasn't always like that. It is a process, and it takes time, but that's what I got to see, and that's what I got to start off my marriage with the example of. That was my formula, and it has never let me down after 16 years. So I'm hoping that today, that what I share with you will help you and your family to work towards that very abundant, blessed life that I know that God has for each one of you. Whether you're married or single, we all have relationships and family, and I hope this will help to breathe a little bit more life into them. So two keys I'm going to cover today. Number one, get your limbo on. And number two, have a Nike marriage. But let me explain. Number one, get your limbo on. Just how low can you go when it comes to serving, out-serving each other? As always, we turn to Jesus as our example. This passage of scripture was at a time at the Last Supper, the Passover Supper before Jesus was crucified. John 13, 3 to 5, Jesus said, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So his disciples would have recognized right away what Jesus was doing. It was customary in that time for the lowest servant in the household to wash the feet of the visitors that came into the home. And Jesus, who knew that the Father would put all things under his power, he got down low and he served and washed the feet of his disciples. When he had finished washing their feet, Jesus said, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Blessed. So the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And in ancient Greece, the word blessed, sorry, um, the Greek word in this case is makarios, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, makarios. In ancient Greece, the word makarios was a word used to describe the state of the gods. It was a word associated with blissful happiness and great abundance. And Jesus is using that word here, blessed, today, associated with what it is when we serve God, when we serve each other. Giving us a great secret to life. That blessed life that we all seek is established by an experience through service. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 4, 34. Jesus and his disciples had been ministering to crowds of people. And they were starving, and the disciples said to him, we're going to go into town and get some food. And Jesus' response was, my food, my food, the very thing that nourishes him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Hebrews 12.2 says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The joy set before him. And Psalm 112.1 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who revere the Lord, 
and who find great delight in his commandments. There is a strong connection between serving and experiencing that blessed life that we want. So just how low do we go? So just how low do we go when it comes to serving each other? So this woman, she's actually the world record holder of limbo. You can watch her on YouTube, she's incredible. She's actually limboing successfully under a vehicle, if you can imagine it. She trains like six hours a day, she says. <laughs> so just how low do we go when it comes to serving each other? Well, John 15, 12 and 13 says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Pretty low. Ephesians 5, 1 4 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Moving forward in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, Paul emphasized yet again submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we see this emphasis about laying down our life for the other. But submitting to one another. It's not this, it's this. Paul then draws some distinctions too. He goes, husbands, love your wives and lay down your lives for them. And wives, respect your husbands and submit to them. If we are ever to understand scripture, we must first always understand it from other scripture. And if we look at the overarching themes and even the few verses I read here, including the one that immediately precedes it, we see that there is no exception in terms of who lays down one's life for whom, who submits to whom. It is man to man, woman to woman, woman to man, man to woman. We are all to lay down our lives for each other and all serve and submit and revere each other, or sorry, out of reverence for Christ. But Paul does explain why he makes um, this distinction here, this passage is talking, he, he's talking about the symbolic representation of marriage as it is between the church and Christ, the church being the bride of Christ, and Jesus being the bridegroom. Oh, but you might say, well, how is that fair? So in this symbolic representation, the husbands are representing Christ and, and wives, just humans, ah, well, it's all fair square, let me tell you, because I don't know if you recall, but in the creation story, when God says he's going to create woman, he says, how does he describe her? Oh, a helper. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to bring you a helper. The same word is used when Jesus says, I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. Amen. David, in Psalms, says, God is my helper. So it's fair square. <laughs> so while the world is on our backs saying, get yours, get higher, win, ah, oh, Jesus and his culture, which transcends time and what's popular, says get low. That's where you're going to find that blessed life. Now sometimes the best way to love others is to love and care for ourselves. This is exemplified throughout scripture as well. Look right at the creation story. And God himself rested on the seventh day. A day of rest, the Sabbath, is built right into the Ten Commandments, better translated as, you don't need to work every day. You can rest. 
and I will provide for you. Jesus exemplified this as he often slipped away from his ministry and his disciples to spend time with the Father in rest. He loves you. He loves you as an individual, too. He wants to see you thrive and work towards the highest, fullest expression of who he's made you to be. And so love yourself and care for yourself. Sometimes the best service we could do for each other. Now, I don't think I've mentioned anything here that's overly complicated or rocket science. While the concept is simple, it can be hard to execute at times. So sometimes understanding really at the root why it is that we do this might help when it's, when it's hard. Why does getting our limbo on lead to such blessing? Well, what we do to others, we in fact do to ourselves. We are one. The church is one. Two people who are married become one. This is all one. This concept of one has continually been coming to me over and over and again over the last few months. You see, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one. Through them, the world was made. They're connected. The world, Adam was made. From Adam, woman was made. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. He says, we are all one. And so therefore, if, if one member suffers, we all suffer. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. To think otherwise is the same idea of thinking that there's no, you know, a non-peace section in the swimming pool. We're all affected, right? Jesse, during his first uh, sermon, he, uh, I think, first or second, he had a picture of a sinking boat, right? And the, the, the ridiculous idea of, you know, one person, two people on the boat, one person saying, hey, your side is sinking, right? Like, we, we understand that we are one, those are some illustrations, and it's by design, we're all connected. And you see that theme throughout many different spiritual beliefs, religions, you look at the indigenous spirituality, you'll see that that sense of oneness and connectivity is what it is all about. So if one member suffers, we all suffer. If you ever happen to find yourself in an argument with your foot, this is a surefire way to win. <laughs> But I think we can all agree it's probably not a good idea. And ridiculous to think, by shooting yourself in the foot, that's not going to creep up and infect your whole body and eventually choke you out. And yet we do that to each other. We do that to each other. We, we criticize our partner. We neglect them. We easily get frustrated with them. We see them as something other than ourselves, as an enemy not someone that's a part, literally, of our own body, our own <coughs> lives, intricately, physically, socially, psychologically, spiritually. But the great thing is that the flip side is so true, too. When we look at our relationships, and we, we look at the other, and we desire to serve them with all that we've got, fertilizing the soil of our marriages and our families, watering the seeds, weeding out the things that are going to choke it out, letting the sun shine in. We get to really enjoy the fruit of our labor, too. And so what are some ways that we can lift each other up? What are some ways that we can get down low to serve one another, to see the other person thrive? 
Well, creativity is our limit. And the way that your partner truly receives love is maybe your guide. I've got a lot of clickers here. Let's get to them here. There's so many things that we could possibly cover. But there's one thing that I feel that I need to emphasize a little bit. And this comes from something called learning theory. It's the idea that if we see our partner doing something, or not doing something, that we appreciate and that we want to see more of. We want to see those behaviors increase. Maybe it's something that you've been asking them to do for a long time. Some of you have been trying to teach them to do for a long time because you know that kind of what you need to function at optimum in your relationship. Well, the best thing you could do immediately after that behavior occurs is reinforce it with praise and appreciation and acknowledgement. And it doesn't have to be just those really big things, those big spectacular things. What about the everyday little things? Those things that we appreciate and are happy about that our, relation, that our other person does for us or in our marriage or our families is an opportunity to get on something called the energizing cycle. I don't know if anyone here has read Love and Respect. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. They talk about the energizing cycle and the crazy cycle. And when we show our appreciation and our praise and our acknowledgement to our spouse, it gets us on that energizing cycle. They feel energized to continue doing the things that we appreciate doing, that we appreciate having them do. The opposite is true, too. Have you ever been kind of asking your partner to, to grow in a certain area, to kind of accommodate perhaps a need that you want or have? And they've finally done it, and instead of saying thank you, you've got, well, it's about time. <laughs> yeah. Or they apologize or something, and you're just like, I know, right? Instead of just taking that opportunity, you say, thank you. Thank you. And again, it's good to know your partner and understand how it is that they receive um, reinforcement and love. Some people are really big on words of affirmation. Some are really big on touch, acts of service. gifts and kind gestures. So here's some final limboing tips to wrap up this initial key. Consider your unique partnership and its unique complement of strengths and weaknesses. We are one body with different parts, of course. We can't all do everything well and always be doing everything for each other all the time. Consider your unique partnership and the complement of your strengths and weaknesses and how you work well as a well-oiled machine. Don't compare your partnership to others or oppress the unique signature, the unique signature of your relationship with outside expectations or pop culture. It can be hard to do. There's a lot of pressure from the outside world for women to fulfill certain roles, to lead certain kinds of lives, to have certain kinds of abilities. As a woman, I feel sometimes like there's this, we put pressure on ourselves to, to hold something called the double burden, like we need to be rocking the boardroom and rocking the cradle at the same time. Well, do you. Do what works for your relationship. Take time to observe and notice what helps you to work as a well machine, wherever your strengths and your weaknesses complement each other. 
Honor the strengths, desires, and abilities of each person, not judging the other for their weaknesses, which is so easy to do, eh? Have you ever caught yourself judging and getting frustrated with your partner for an area of their weakness that happens to be an area of your strength? So easy to judge people, areas of their weakness, when you're strong in that. And I tell you, if there's one thing that's probably really saved me in being a much better spouse than I would have been otherwise, it's when God showed me to look to look at the plank in my own eye and not the speck in my brother's. And that saved me from feeling so frustrated and defensive and taking it personally when he just couldn't live up to my expectations. And realizing that it was his weaknesses that happened to complement my strengths. And thank God that it was my, um, sorry, that yeah, it was his weaknesses that complemented my strengths and it was my weaknesses that definitely complemented his strengths. And I'm so thankful that he wasn't judging me where I fell short. So it is the other's inabilities that make your abilities so needed. So that's key number one, and I'm already sick of hearing my own voice. So <laughs> does anybody have any questions, comments, or concerns? Anything that's been kind of burning in you, even over those last couple weeks, that you feel like you've just been really wanting to ask? I don't, I don't mind. Kind of scary, but might bring up an interesting point. Yeah. How do you deal with when you actually don't agree on something, and it's something that you need to address so you don't fall into resentment? When you really need to address it, right? So the question is, what do you do when you don't agree on something, and it's something that you really need to address so you don't swallow it? Yeah, yeah, it could be valid. Well, of course, if it's a concern, it's valid. It's, a, it's an opportunity for communication. You know, I don't know if anybody here knows Maya Angelou. Thanks, Jeff, great question. If anyone here knows Maya Angelou, she's a well-known, great Canadian writer, uh, American writer and poet. She says, in her opinion, that one of the greatest virtues is courage. And without courage, you need courage in order to execute all the other virtues, such as love. And it can be scary sometimes to communicate. Sometimes you feel like you can just, it's easier if you just swallow it down. But it's important that you talk about it. And it's funny that you, that you bring that up, Deb, because there was another point that I wanted to talk about, but I, I skipped over it because I thought I may not have enough time. I guess God wants me to talk about it. <laughs> and it was in all that whole big list of different ways that we could serve each other. And one of them was how sharing your needs, sharing your hurts, is in fact one way that we could possibly really be serving each other well. You see, for some people, that's easy to do. And for some people, they maybe need to be dialing it back because they're expecting their spouse to be God in their lives. There is a balance. But for some, maybe that communication is challenging. For some, their natural tendency is to just hold back and not share and not communicate. But what happens as a result is bitterness can set in. Or you can start to wither away in your relationship and become discontent. You start to find your needs elsewhere. I don't know how many marriages I know of that have broken up where one spouse 
has just gone up and left, leaving the other spokes totally shocked and having no idea what just happened. Now, communication is a two-way street. Perhaps there was a time where one partner attempted to share a need and it wasn't received well. You heard Jesse talk about last week, you know, sending out an emotional bid. An emotional bid, just someone sending out the, a sharing of a, of a hurt or a need or, or a desire to connect in some way. And how important it is for the other person to catch it and embrace it. So it's a two-way street. But I just, I want to I wanna encourage you to not give up on your marriage and to not give up on trying to maintain that, those open lines of communication to share your needs, share your concerns, talk about those things. Do your marriage that service by having the courage to do so. And if you're the person on the receiving side, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to get off the crazy cycle, get on the energizing cycle. And I know how much, how difficult it is to be corrected. Like who here loves being corrected? <laughs> ah, it, it triggers our pride. But lay it down, lay down the pride for the sake of your marriage. You're on one team, you are one. You can pick up your pride and get the guns out, but you're one. See, and, and the, the first words that can come out of your mouth when somebody, when your partner presents to you a need or a hurt or an area of concern, the first words that come in your mouth could be, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You're on the energizing cycle already. Communication lines are open. Sky's the limit for the positive things that they have. Thank you for sharing that. I'm hearing you. I want to love you the best way that I can. I'm sorry for hurting you. I'm sorry for not being able to do that. And, and the other person now feels open and probably wants to hear from you too how, how they could love you better too. Relationships and loving each other takes courage. It takes setting aside our pride. Laying it down low for the sake of the one. So Deb, I don't know if that answers your question very intricately. That would be a great thing to cover in like a relationship workshop too. And I'm happy to talk more afterwards with anybody about anything that I may be saying to get more details around uh, maybe a specific scenario they might be having. So I hope that wasn't too vague. I'm gonna jump into key number two, have a Nike marriage. And you gotta love Nike for their branding and marketing because as soon as I say Nike, everyone in their mind goes, just do it. So here's some tips from cognitive behavioral therapy and positive psychology, which are two of my favorite psychological um, theories and uh, approaches to therapy. So cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, is really simple. It's just the concept that our thoughts, our behaviors, and our feelings are all interconnected, and that they all influence each other. But what we don't often talk about is the fact that they don't all equally influence each other. Sure, our, our feelings, which are fleeting and come and go, in the moment will affect what you're thinking and what you may want to do, but it's not something we can rely upon. It's not something that will create sustainable change in our lives. Our thoughts, very powerful on what we do and what we feel. And we're gonna start there as a primary principle. There's no question that we do need to be taking every thought captive. The nugget that I wanna drive home today in regards to 
something that I think will really help you in your relationships, I know it's helped me, is the fact that what we do has the most powerful effect on our thoughts and our feelings. So again, like I say, let's start off with our thoughts. Primary CBT principle states that it's the interpretation of events, not the events themselves. The interpretation of the events is what's crucial. That's what's going to influence your experience the most. Our worldview, so that's our core beliefs about ourselves, our core beliefs about others, and about the world around us, as well as our assumptions, automatic thoughts, are all what greatly influence how we perceive events and how we relate to each other. Understanding these help us to identify problems and solutions. And the Bible is very clear about this too. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When you look at your spouse, your partner, you think about them, the thoughts that you have about them or towards them, are they truth? Or are they lies? Are they noble? Are they right? Are they pure? Are they lovely? Are they admirable? Excellent, praiseworthy. Are they something that you would be proud of and fine with writing on the front page of the news? If not, lies will drag us down. Lies will take us down to a downward spiral of death. And so we need to take every captive, every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, make it obedient to truth. You know that one thing that all wars have in common is that the people fighting against each other dehumanize each other. And that's definitely common in any type of genocide type of scenario that we saw in Rwanda. We saw in Nazi Germany. The antagonists they dehumanize their victims. Meaning they, 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 they take the human out of them, they objectify them, they make them seem nothing more than animals or things. They distance themselves from them and their humanness. And when that happens, you can destroy them. So if we are calling our, in our, and if we have thoughts towards our partner that are anything less than the recognition that they are human beings, just like we are, capable of suffering, desiring of love. If we distance ourselves from our partner, the greater the distance, the easier it is to get like this. And so it's all about getting up close and personal and, and looking each other in the eyes and seeing the human being that you're married to. And so this final part of Philippians Chapter 4, verse 9, take me right into, again, the, the key of this key, saying that uh, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Put it into practice. 
So the second CBT principle states that what we do has a powerful influence on our thoughts and emotions. What we do has a powerful influence on our thoughts and emotions. So I thought to illustrate this point, this is a marriage series after all, thought I'd talk about sex. And in particular, let's just talk about sexual desire or those deep feelings that, that we like to call feeling in love. Did you know, and this might be shocking, that over the course of a marriage lifespan, that those feelings of feeling in love can diminish over time? No, shocking, right? They fluctuate, depending on seasons. Sometimes they fizzle right out. You know, some may think that, well, you know, I fell in love and, and I've just sort of fallen out of love. Well, the good news is that you never fell in love to begin with. And we don't ever fall into, you can't fall out of. You see, these feelings don't just appear out of thin air. Research has looked into what are the main contributing factors towards strong sexual desire, or the strong feelings of attraction and feeling in love. Jesse has mentioned them plenty of times over the last couple of weeks. And we look into the beginning of relationships, into that honeymoon phase, as we call it, to see what we're doing. And that's exactly it, what we're doing. We're spending tons of time together, quality time together. We're talking with each other. We're touching each other constantly. We're putting our best foot forward for each other. We are serving each other without expecting anything in return. We're serving each other with such joy. It is no mystery. Oh, and, and one thing um, the research has found that really contributes to these, uh, to really falling in love, is uh, something called self-expansion, which is just that idea of having new and novel experiences together, discovering things together which is often found in spending time together and discovering things about each other. And the good news is that people are always changing. So it doesn't matter how long you've been married, there's always new things to learn about each other if you just take the time to inquire and dig. So, yes, if you're totally neglecting your marriage and you can see that you're not doing even close to what you used to do, then it shouldn't be a mystery that that sense of closeness, those feelings, aren't really there. But what if, what if you kind of are doing everything right in that regard? What if you're spending lots of quality time together, you're kind of doing, you know, having novel experiences together, you're serving each other, you know, you're working through your issues, you're still not really feeling that desire, or there's at least one person in the partnership that is not particularly um, inclined, doesn't share that same libido as you. First of all, I want to do is normalize that. That is normal. And pop culture today just makes it seem like everybody all the time needs to be interested in sex. And that is just so not true. We're all on a spectrum, just like our personalities and our temperaments and our metabolisms. And by the way, it's also not true that on average men are much more interested in sex than women. That's a lie. It's evenly distributed. So whatever's going on there in terms of where you fall and one pair or one partner being more interested in sex than the other, the other being a little less interested in sex than the other, that, that's, that's normal. I'll give you a little hint around this, this topic though. I don't know if any of you have ever been in that position. And maybe you're the partner where you don't necessarily really have that same 
inclination, that same high libido as your partner, but, but you know you genuinely want to love your partner in this way. You want to give to them in this way. It's just kind of, it's just not as easy for you, but you know you want to and you're willing. Have you ever just accommodated that and started moving towards those motions and watched your feelings and your body follow? And notice that there's an incredible sense of closeness and feeling in love after you do the action. So sex is a great illustration of the power of this, of this principle. And you're normal. Positive psychology is another one of my favorite um, areas of psychological research. And what I love about it is they don't just look at what's going wrong in people's lives. They don't just look at what are the contributing factors to mental illness. They look at what's going right. They take a deep look into what is it that's contributing to people thriving and doing well. And so there's a whole lot that you can learn from positive psychology. And if you are looking for a really good read that you want to bring into your home, I recommend a book called Flourish by Martin Seligman. It's great. Here's one little nugget from positive psychology. It says, doing a kindness produces the single most reliable momentary increase in well-being of any other exercise tested. Doing a kindness produces the single most reliable momentary increase in well-being of any other exercise tested. Find one wholly unexpected kind thing to do each day and just do it. And notice what happens to your mood. It's good stuff. Anybody here familiar with Gabor Mate? So Gabor Mate, yeah, he's a medical doctor who works on the downtown east side with people who are struggling with the most difficult of addictions, mental health issues, people who are homeless, living on the streets, people who have been in and out of jail. And hands down, most of his patients, most of his clients, people who have suffered terrible abuse and disconnection in their lives, in their families' lives. He's developed a really great therapeutic approach called compassionate inquiry. Anyway, I really love Gabor Mate. He's got all kinds of great things to teach us. And he has this one quote that I just love. He says, relationship is therapy. Relationship is therapy. Recognizing the power of positive relationship and connectedness in our lives towards wellness and thriving. And I mention this because if my hypothesis is the reason why Doing a kindness produces a single most reliable momentary increase in well-being of any other exercise tested, or, or that doing an unexpected kind thing increases your mood is because it increases connection. Because it builds deep, positive connection with others. And that's where our health is found. That's what it's all about. I love this passage from Isaiah 58, 10, 11 says, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the soul of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness, your gloom will become like midday. And by the way, your partner is hungry for your love. There's no more lonely feeling out there than living with someone and feeling like they don't see you. And so they're hungry for your love. Our souls get afflicted 
and the people who are closest to us don't see us. So, so give yourself to the hungry, satisfy the soul of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So we know from Acts 20, verse 35, that it is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Feeling closeness and desire and being in love is the reward. Feeling closeness and desire and being in love is the reward of serving each other, not the requirement. Don't wait around for those feelings of feeling in love. Don't wait around for those feelings to magically appear. That is your reward for doing, for getting down low and serving each other, for laying down your pride aside and seeing the others as someone to nurture and love. It's not the requirement. There's a little discovery exercise for you and your partner, maybe next time you're out on a little date, or something you could start considering your own time as you're journaling and just trying to decipher a little bit more about you and your partner and what makes you tick. Find out what makes your partner tick and maximize your energies there. Ask yourself what is genuinely important to you and inform the other. I just want to mention this because we only have a limited amount of time and, and energy in this world and, and thankfully most of us have kind of some unique ways that we, we feel love the most. So figuring out what those things are and then maximizing your energies there will ensure a, a light yoke and an easy burden. You know, Jesus, Jesus doesn't want for us to live a life that is a heavy yoke and a heavy burden. Oh, he wants it to be light. And so perhaps we can consider giving each other a little bit of slack and ourselves some slack in other areas. You know, there's a bit of a, a running joke in our home. Uh, it comes from a proverb that I came across. And, uh, but it actually really helped me and it gave me a lot of insight too into this concept of just cutting each other a little bit of slack in areas that really aren't that important anyway. And it says, where no oxen are, the manger is clean. <laughs> Can't figure out the manger's my home. But much revenue comes from the strength of the ox. It's something we joke about, but the truth is, is that for a long time, <laughs> it's a good one, right? I get frustrated. You know, my husband is not a slob. He's reasonable, but I have much higher standards of neatness in my home. And it, it almost became a real point of tension, like a real point of tension where I was constantly just feeling frustrated, focusing so much on where he fell short and that he wasn't kind of living up to my expectations, feeling like he was kind of even undoing what I really wanted. And there's such a focus on my strength and his weakness, sucking the life and the love out of our relationship. And then I realized, wow, what an incredible, what incredible abilities and capacities my husband has that I can't even touch. He's got one of the most difficult designations on the planet. I watched him go through schooling that I would never want to do. And I realized that I would be so worse off without my ox. 
I can laugh about it because he knows he's also my lion. Anyway, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So while we hope, while we teach each other, love each other, let's keep it light and try not to have too many demands on each other. Give it all you've got for each other. Get your limbo on. Have a Nike marriage. Go home. Just do it. That's why it Anyway, the worship team is going to come back up. And uh, we're going to spend a little bit more time worshiping together. And uh, our prayer team. We have a prayer team that's going to be going off to the side as well. And they're there to pray for you for whatever needs you may have. Maybe God is knocking on your heart today. Maybe he's been knocking on your heart a little bit. Maybe you're feeling like you're carrying something kind of heavy that you just want to lay down at the foot of the cross and, and receive his grace and receive his love and receive the abundant life that he has for each and every one of you. You can do that alone with God, the privacy of your own home. Or if you're like me, I like to do it with another, but bear witness. You could pray for me. And so I just encourage you to, to step out, whatever, whatever God is you know, encouraging you to step out to do, and just start walking that abundant, blessed life that he so desires for each and every one of you. Thank you very much. Thank you.